Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from the Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our sermon series, Start Spreading the News, where we discuss the importance of evangelism. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. First of all, thank you guys so much for the the kind gift and for the kind words, Tom. And, you know, as I just think about pastoring this church, it's it's not, it's a job, but it's not, it's not just a job. It's a privilege. I can't, I can't imagine, and I think many of you, though not the pastor of this church, I think many of you feel the same way. I cannot imagine where I would be without the relationships that I have with the, the people in this room. And so I'm just grateful to, to be able to say that, to be able to have you all in my life. And uh, so thank you so much. So, new sermon series. We got rid of the outdated dial tone sound of the, of the last series, which you were all enjoying and some of you were confused by. Um, and we replaced it with, oh, it's not up there, with a newspaper graphic. And so we went from one piece of outdated technology to another. There it is. And, and so I think maybe for, for Advent, I need to try to like work in a VHS tape somehow. Some of you might not know what that is, but... Uh, you can go home and, and Google it. Um, but I'm excited to be moving into our series on evangelism that we've called Start Spreading the News. And before I go any further, does anyone know that reference? And Ezra, if you know that reference, I'll give you $100. Start spreading the news. That's a no. Any, anybody starts... Yeah, the beginning of Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, right? Um, we talked about playing that as I walked up here, but it becomes very irrelevant to this sermon series after the first line. And so rather than just play the first line in a loop, we decided to forego it. But I'm excited for this series, and at the same time, I do it with a bit of trepidation because I, for one thing, I'm, not mu- I'm very much an expository preacher, not a topical one. And, and so it's a bit out of my comfort zone to preach topically. And secondly, because evangelism isn't like the sexiest topic in church, right? Some of you sitting here this morning might already think, I mean, I could never evangelize. Or even you might have the firmer stance, I will never evangelize. I would never do that. But we're going to explore together over the next six weeks this topic of sharing your faith and I want to do that because I want, to, I want to revisit one of our core values every fall, one of our core values as a church, and this one is Christians share the gospel. It's one of our core values. It's something that we say that we believe as a church. So this week we're going to talk about what the gospel even is. We're going to have this big sort of picture, big picture overview of the story that contextualizes and contains the good news. Next week we're going to make a case for why you should share the gospel. Week three is something that I'm calling sharing the gospel with nominals and know-it-alls, right? We live, in the, we live in a post-Christian world, but we live in the Midwest, which is slower to move that way. And we live in Lake Township, many of us, or at least we're a church in Lake Township, which was described once by a government official as the Bible Belt of Ohio. And that means that there are potentially a lot of people here in Lake Township who believe that they're Christians and yet may not be at all. Week four, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel with a world that has moved on because while we live sort of in a less progressive place, 
The world in general is leaving Christianity behind, and it, re- it will require people, normal people, not just pastors, to open their mouths and share about a personal encounter that they've had with the Jesus of Scripture. Week five, we're going to talk about hospitality as tangible witness. And then week six, we're going to talk about living in a way that requires an explanation. And after that, Advent. It's going to be amazing. But first, let's talk about evangelism. So evangelism certainly isn't trendy nowadays. We picture some weird knock on the door, an intrusive conversation perhaps with a Jehovah's Witness. That's what we think about when we think of evangelism. Or perhaps we think about the street preacher yelling through a bullhorn, repent or die. I had that experience at a Dodgers game in Cleveland this summer. And I wanted to approach this man so bad and, say, and just say, sir, can you just tell all the people that you're screaming at, can you tell them you're part of some other religion? I feel like you're making us look bad, okay? Just tell them you're like Buddhist or something and you're really angry about it. I don't know. But I left him alone, maybe not wanting to get yelled at myself. Perhaps when you think of evangelism, you think of the slightly less gutsy tracts, right? Some of which have that same repent or die message. Has anybody ever heard of or seen a chick tract? You know what that is? Yes. Named after their creator, they are disturbing and bizarre in my experience, if you ever get a chance to see one. But so often these approaches, which are, are considered evangelism, They are, yes, they're cold, yes, they're impersonal, and yes, they're somewhat insensitive, and and then they're also one-size-fits-all, which can be quite unhelpful, but also they lack context. They lack context. So imagine you were born in 1910. You were living for a while, and maybe around 1940, you decided the world is just going to hell in a handbasket, And maybe you'd like to experience your 30s in another era. You decide to be cryogenically frozen. This is a very sci-fi illustration. If that's what you're into, you're welcome. And so it's 2022, the the year that you picked uh, to kind of come back to consciousness in. They, They thaw you out. You stretch. You get your clothes. I don't assume they freeze you in them. And you get your clothes, which will no doubt look weird to the people that you pass on the street because they're from 1940. And you head out the door and you walk down the sidewalk, the sunlight undoubtedly feeling oppressive after your eyes have been closed for 82 years. And you pass a newsstand. This is obviously fiction because you'd be hard-pressed to find a newsstand in 2022. Some of you don't know what a newsstand is, but you pass a newsstand and you take a paper and it says this, and I'm making this headline up. Scientists believe COVID-19 is all but eradicated. That would be good news, yet you have no reaction. Why? Because you have no context for that good news. You have no context. You'd love to be excited. Or wait, mortified? Who is COVID-19? Why did we eradicate them, him? Is that what they're naming people in the 2000s? Not far from it sometimes. Or what is COVID-19? 
You don't know that it's an illness. You know nothing of Wuhan, China. You don't know that it's killed many people. You don't know about mass anxiety and fear. You don't know about weakened immune systems from basically, basically being reclusive for a long time. You don't know what sheltering in place is. You know nothing about masks. You, know, you don't know anything about holidays and graduations and weddings being lost because we had to socially distance. You cannot begin to understand the difference in society with all these folks now working from home in their pajamas. You don't know any of that. So when you read, scientists say COVID-19 is all but eradicated. You are numb to that news. You have no reaction. You don't have any context. And so often times it is with our gospel presentations. And so it is with the guy in the soapbox with the bullhorn yelling at people who are just trying to walk into a baseball game. People saying, sinner? Repent? Hell? God? God who? As biblical literacy decreases in our society, and even at this point as biblical familiarity decreases in our society, we have to catch people up on the story we find ourselves in. The story of God. The gospel is good news, just like the eradication of a virus would be good news. But you need to know the rest of the story first before you really understand and believe the good news. You might need to catch people up. So the story of God that culminates in good news is a story in four movements, the Bible tells us. The Bible is one continuous story of God and how he relates with people. The four movements of this story that we're going to talk about today are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These are the four movements of the story of God that we find ourselves in. The good news is part of the story. It's part of this. It's the second two movements explicitly will seem like good news. But without the first two, the gospel may lack, may lack some context. In previous generations, our culture may have been able to fill, the, fill in the blanks a bit, right? But now, truthfully, that is increasingly less and less the case. So creation. The first chapter of the first book of the Bible tells us about God creating all the stuff in the world, the stuff, the stuff all around us. If you go outside, all that stuff. And God saw that it was all good. He declared it good. And then it says this, the Bible says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. God created the heavens and the earth and the animals, and he saw it was good. Each time he did something in creation, he saw that it was good. All of his creating work was good. Then he creates people, and after that, he says, it's very good indeed. 
It's very good indeed. It's good that you are here. Not just here in this building, though. I am thrilled that you are here this morning. It's good that you're alive. Sometimes, maybe, you are predisposed to ideas that the world would be a better place without you. But it would not. You are good. You are created by a God that looks at the world and says, it's good, but looks at the world with people in it and says, very good. And then he rests. His work is done. Once we arrive on the scene, once people, humanity arrives on the scene, God could say, this was good. Now, it's a masterpiece. Chef's kiss. Doesn't get any better than this. My work here is done. That's a message for the guy with the bullhorn to start with, right? Don't you know you were created by a God who loves you and who saw you and said, this woman, this man, they are good. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? You have to know that. And this creation story also gives us something else very important to remember. We are created in God's image. You are made in God's likeness. You aren't an animal. You aren't a beast. You are a human being made in the image of God. See, science can prove many things. One thing it cannot prove is the value and dignity of human beings. Nothing in your DNA, nothing in your blood, nothing in your matter shows that you are worthy of dignity and respect and that you are valuable, that you are more valuable than a beaver or a bear or a fish. You just have a higher functioning brain than those things. Science cannot prove the worth of human beings. They cannot prove that you are of highest worth. And so when somebody who doesn't believe in God, specifically who doesn't believe in the Bible, a secular person, when someone like that is crying out for human dignity and human rights, which are good things, I would playfully ask the question, says who? Says who? Who says human beings should have these things? Because science does not. Our Bible does. Truthfully, only the Christian has a reason for human dignity. A secular person can hold that value, but it is baseless for them. We have it because we know that people are made in God's image. People are made in God's likeness, and so they are of infinite worth. Animals aren't made in the image of God. They are not image bearers. People are. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you don't feel that you have great worth, you must pick up your head. You are of great worth to God. He created you in his image. And if he created you in his image, it means you have a responsibility. You are meant to show the world what God is like. But, but, movement two in the story of God fall. Every good story has adversity, doesn't it? Think of all your favorite movies, all the best movies. The main characters always experience adversity. And that's because good stories, the stories we love the most, they mirror the ultimate true story, the story of the Bible, the story we find ourselves in. These people, in perfect relationship with God, with the God who loves them, they were given rain over the earth. And this God said, you can eat whatever you want. Just don't eat from this one particular tree. One rule, that's it. 
And then the serpent comes along. You know the story. Some people that oh, today, I bet, don't because our culture is changing. And this serpent, it comes along and says, did God really say? Did God really say all that about you can't eat that? And God said if they ate, they would surely die. But the, the serpent said, you won't, you won't surely die. Come on now. If you eat it, let me tell you what will happen. If you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. That's why he said that. Not because you'll surely die. It's because you'll be like him. He is trying to hold you down. And you know the rest of the story. Eve ate it. She believed the lie. She caved. She ate it and she brought it back to her husband and he ate it too. And then after some time, they heard the Lord in the garden and they ran off and they hid. And the Lord called out to them, where are you? The Lord knew, of course. And Adam responds, we were naked and we were afraid. This was long before that TV show. We were naked and we were afraid, so we hid. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Adam points to Eve. Eve comes clean. God sends them out of the garden. And they will surely die. They did surely die. And we surely will die too. That's the curse. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. I believe the story, this this creation and fall story. I believe the story really happened. However, someone that probably doesn't said this, and it's always stuck with me. The important thing about the fall story isn't that it happened, but that it happens. Now, the first part of that sentence, you can decide for yourself whether you agree with. I believe it happened. I think the New Testament authors do too. I think there's a strong case for that. But the latter part, I think, is very true. It didn't just happen. It happens. Or because it happened, now it happens. You see, it's not just Adam and Eve. You hear the word of God, and you hear what he asks of people, and then you hear a voice. Maybe of the one animating the serpent thousands of years ago. Maybe of your own sinful desires. But you hear that voice say, did God really say that if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery with her in your heart? Did God really say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? He couldn't have met Steve in accounting. Like, how are you going to love him, right? Steve. Did God really say flee from immorality? What even is immorality, right? Isn't the most immoral thing denying yourself whatever makes you happy after all? And you trip up and you will surely die. I will surely die. But it wasn't supposed to be this way. When you go to a funeral, when you look at a casket, you should think, this isn't right. This doesn't make sense. You should rage against it. We were meant for more than death. But we made our bed, and, and now we lie in it. In Genesis 3, there's this beautiful foreshadowing, this beautiful promise. Genesis three, fifteen. God is speaking to that serpent that tempted Eve and that, that kind of caused this whole mess. And God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Movement three, redemption. If, if, you, if you read any of the Bible after Genesis three, it's a lot of ugliness, 
literally, if you read Genesis 3 and, and you're reading it th- for the first time, you're like, ah, they blew it. That sucks. Let's see what's next. Kind of like when your favorite sports team's getting crushed. You're like, all right, let's turn to something else. Ah, they blew it. That sucks. Let's see what's next. You flip the page. It doesn't get better, let me tell you. The title of the first section in Genesis 4, at least in the Christian Standard Bible, is Cain Murders Abel. Okay? Lots of awful stuff happens. That's sin, it's rebellion against God, murder, adultery, rape, and all of the lesser sins. You'll find them all over the Old Testament. And God chooses a people for himself. And you might think, great, at least there will be somebody getting it right, being faithful to God. And then a very brief reading of the Old Testament and reading about these people, and you're like, nope, never mind. And so there would be this sacrificial system in the temple uh, where sacrifice would be made for the sins of the people. A lot of animals died in that year. A lot of sinning happening in those years, sorry. A lot of sinning happening over that course of time and over all of human history. And death just spread. Spiritual death, relational death between people, between God and people, and physical death. And like I said, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And just like all good stories have adversity, all great stories don't end in adversity. And it's because all good stories mirror God's story. And so this story doesn't end here. You see those people, God's people that I briefly mentioned? Well, he started that family through a man named Abram. He made a promise to Abram that he would provide him offspring and essentially that a great nation would come from him. But Abram was very old and so was his wife. Too old to conceive even. But God made this promise to them. Abram believed God. Despite all the facts in the situation, the only fact that mattered to Abram is what God had said. God credited that to to Abram as righteousness. And so God even changes Abram's name. He becomes Abraham because it means the father of many nations. And some drama occurs in the story. You might know about it. But eventually, Abraham and Sarah, they have a son named Isaac. Isaac eventually had Jacob, who had 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, a great nation. And one of those tribes was Judah. God kept his his promise, the father of many nations. And through Judah, Jesus is born. Israel, God's chosen people, they were supposed to be a people who showed the world what the true God was like. They were supposed to carry on that charge as image bearers that Adam and Eve had. They were to be a peculiar people who lived differently in a sin-sick, idolatrous world who made people wonder what this God must be like and what it could mean to worship and follow him. And sometimes maybe they did a little bit, but it seems like a lot of times they just kept dropping the ball over and over again. But then Jesus comes. And what our first parents, Adam and Eve, couldn't do, what Israel couldn't do, what we can't do, Jesus would do, being the spitting image of God himself. And then what the sacrificial system could never do, Jesus would do. Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 tells us this. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? 
But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did, you did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, You did not desire delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He, he then says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Jesus came to be the unblemished once and for all sacrifice for sin. He came and lived a perfect life, the life that we could never, would never live. And he died the death that our actions actually deserve. And so just as death came through one man, Adam, so eternal life came into the world through one man, Jesus Christ. And those things that our first ancestor Adam set into motion, Jesus undoes them. The death of the relationship with God, undone. Jesus restores us into right relationship with God. The second death we experience after we die, undone. We can have eternal life. And that means physical death is undone too. No more do we have to look at someone we love in a casket and think I'll never see them again. No more do we have to look at our own mortality as we age and think one day I'll die and that will be the end of me. No more. The fourth and final movement in the story of God is restoration or new creation. Tim Keller says it best when he says in his book, The Reason for God, just as the climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, just after the climax of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf was not dead as he thought, but alive. He cries, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. This is the hope of the Christian. The Lord of the Rings points to it because, let me say it again, all great stories mirror God's story. One day everything wrong will be made right. This thing God is doing isn't just pie in the sky after you die, as some people say. You will one day see perfect justice carried out. You will experience the resurrection of the dead. If you're in Christ, you will experience perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect love in his presence. Those who do not know Christ will also receive justice, the just punishment for their sins. But if you're in Christ, you will see a new heaven and a new earth, the restoration of God's good creation. God did not create this world just to burn it down. He created it and he said, it's good and he will restore it. Everything sad will come untrue. Everything taken from you will be restored. That's the kind of kingdom we're joining if we're united with Christ. When John the Baptist comes on the scene and says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the kind of kingdom that is at hand, that has come near. So change your mind about everything you value and believe this good news. It wouldn't be good news 
if it were a kingdom with a king who wanted to destroy you, that wanted to ruin you, that wanted to harm you. But it's a kingdom and a king that want you to flourish. And until you change your mind about what flourishing even is, you will never experience it. But to do that, you have to understand who God made you to be. Made you in his image, declared you good. You have to understand what went wrong. How Eve took the fruit, how we still do it today. You have to understand how God made a way for you in Jesus and the good future God wants to have with you. You have to know the story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Repent or die through a bullhorn is lazy evangelism. Repent or die is a vague and very incomplete message. The word for gospel, the Greek word that's translated as gospel is euangelion. And it simply means good news. If your gospel doesn't sound like good news, then it's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. And it is news, by the way. The gospel isn't just a a theological treatise. It's news. And news is something to be told. Think about news. You hear it, and you, you, back in the day, you'd make a phone call. Now you text someone. Did you hear the news? Shelly is pregnant. Oh, that's wonderful. Did you hear the news? Jake and Allie got engaged. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Did you hear the news? They're forgiving student loan debt. Oh, I got to text my friend who's in debt. Or did you hear the news? They're not forgiving student loan debt. See, so you all differ on which one of those things is good news, so I had to include them both, huh? Equal opportunity, pleaser or offender. I don't know which one. But when you hear good news, you have to tell it. You see, the story we have is good news. And we must tell it. You, we were created by a good God who saw his creation and said it was good. We sinned. We messed up. But this good God didn't just leave us in our mess to die. He gave his one and only son. And this son was perfect and blameless. And, and though he didn't deserve it, he willingly gave himself up, gave his life on a cross so that God might credit his perfect life to us, forgiving us, wiping clean the debt of our sin. Jesus, he atoned for our sins, sins he didn't commit. And now we have peace with God. And now his people have the promise of resurrection and will live forever with him in a perfect, restored world, one where everything sad has come untrue. That's our story. What Jesus did for us, the, co- the kingdom of God coming, breaking in, that's news. That's good news. And, and, and good news just begs to be told. And we are in an opportune position. There are people all around us, people you work with, people you play with, people that you, you hang out with in your neighborhood, people that go to your kids' sporting events, people all around you who need good news. So the question is, the question that we'll keep exploring over the next six weeks, will we open our mouths? Will we tell the story? Will we share the good news? So next week, we're going to talk about why we should. Michelle, you can come up. You are created by God, and God declared that creation good. You are good and beloved, far more beloved than you can fathom, but you are a sinner, 
you are more sinful than you can even begin to know. And so God, not wanting you to perish, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, born of a virgin, and he lived 33 hard years on earth. And at the end of his life, he sat at a table with his buddies. It was on that night that one of his closest friends would betray him, hand him over to die. And on that night, sitting at that table, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Soon after, he was handed over to the authorities and he would willingly give his life for you. And if you've died with him, surely you will be resurrected just like him. If you died to sin, died to yourself, you will experience resurrection. And resurrection means you will never end. You will never cease to be just like he will never cease to be. And you will experience justice and peace. And you will see every tear wiped away. Everything sad come untrue. Does that sound like good news to you this morning? Does that sound like a story worth telling again and again and again? This morning, I want you to think about the gospel as you prepare your heart for communion. Is it that good of news to you? How does your heart respond when you hear the story, when you rehearse the story? Do you believe it? If it's not good news to you, I'm just going to tell you, you'll never share it if it's not good news to you. And so this morning, ask God to, maybe even through the act of communion, which, which is rehearsing sort of the climax of the story, isn't it? Ask God to make it fresh in your heart this morning. And then whenever you're ready, you can stand and take communion. We take communion here every week at the table by taking the bread, dipping it in the cup, and remembering what Jesus did for us. Remembering this good news, remembering this gospel. Communion can be found towards the back on my left. Gluten-free communion towards the back on my right side. My friends Randy and Rachel are going to be available to pray for you this morning. If you need someone to pray for you, you can find them on either side of the room against the wall. And they'd be happy to just put a hand on your shoulder and uh, go to God with you. So I'm going to pray. And then you are free to, to spend some, just some quiet moments with the Lord. And then whenever you're ready, stand and take communion. Father, I'm grateful for your story. That's good news. You are a good God to make it good news. It could be bad news. As we read this story, we understand that, that we are sinners and we are at your mercy. And you are a loving, kind, good God who made a way for us. So we thank you for that this morning. I just pray for anyone here who knows the gospel message but doesn't feel much when they hear it or think about it, God, that you would just reinvigorate their heart with the enormity of what you've done for them. I pray for anyone here this morning that is hearing the gospel fresh for the first time, that you would just you would just uh, bring them to yourself, that you would woo them, that they would feel this this desire they've never felt before to know you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your gospel. Would you embolden us over the next six weeks to share it and give us opportunities to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. 
If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.